to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. You can use one of those pew Bibles there. Uh, Ephesians 6, 4. Uh, we've been, we've been uh, going through a, a series of standalone messages, taking a break from the Gospel of Mark, and I've really been enjoying uh, being able to take the time to address various topics that I think we need to hear. Uh, and tonight we come to one such topic, Christian parenting. Right? How are Christians supposed to raise their kids? Right? Look around. We got a lot of parents. <laughs> right? We got a lot of parents um, in this tiny church, and we've got uh, some new parents. Right? I'm one of them. My kid's 18 months old. Um, so we have some expecting parents. And still yet, we have others uh, that, Lord willing, are desiring that God would grant them the gift of becoming parents. And so, with so many children and parents in our congregation, I thought it would be a good idea for us to look to the Word of God and see what He has to say about parenting. And our text this evening, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, is incredibly helpful and I would even say indispensable for our task in child rearing. Brothers and sisters, let me say this uh, plainly. We must know how to raise our children if we are to be disciples. And here's what I mean Jesus is Lord. Lord of everything, that includes Lord of your home and Lord of your parenting. So then we need to know what his word says about, we, about how we, as his disciples, as the people of God, are to raise our children in a way that pleases him as Lord. Now before we dive in, uh, I want to say something very clearly, just uh, on, the, on the front end. Um, I don't have it all figured out. Right? I don't have it all figured out. I am not a perfect parent. I am a sinner like the rest of y'all, and I'm still quite new to all of this. Right? So this sermon, while it will be direct and to the point, as are all of my sermons, I hope, it is not intended to make you think that I'm going to nail all of this stuff as my kids get older or that I'm doing a perfect job of it right now. I'm not a perfect father. I don't have everything figured out, but I do have the Word of God breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching and training in righteousness that the man of God may be fully equipped, lacking nothing, right? So I will speak what the word speaks, and I will be direct as the word is direct, and I will do my best to show you how it applies to all of us as Christian parents. So really then, I just need to preach the word of God, regardless of how little personal experience I have in parenting, and that's because the word of God is sufficient. Might I remind you that in this text, it actually comes to us from the Apostle Paul, who had zero children and was married to no one, right? And yet he speaks the words of God to us here. The word is sufficient. You don't need to know my thoughts on anything. You need to know what God thinks. So I'm going to give you what sermons, or in this sermon, what Scripture says, not what I think, because you came to hear a word from the Lord this evening, not a word from David Doughty. It's way better to hear a word from God than a word from me, I promise you. Ask my wife. Um, but with all that said, um, I, I want you to know as your pastor, I'm a man in the middle of my sanctification just as the rest of you are. I'm learning how to parent according to the word of God just like you are. So let's look to the word together then and be conformed more and more to the image of Christ as the spirit works mightily through the word to change us. Now with that said, if you would and are able... Please stand with me now for the reading of the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the Word of God. 
Let's pray. Our great God and Father, you are God. You are the only wise God. And so we ask that you would impart your wisdom to us this evening as we look to your word. By your spirit, speak to us through the word. Help us to understand. Help us to submit to what we see. Grant us wisdom and grace to live under the lordship of your son, Jesus Christ, so that we might be godly and pleasing to you in all things. Help us, Holy One. Have mercy on us. Teach us. We ask for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so uh, some context here. Our verses come to us uh, toward the end of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Um, Starting in chapter 4 of this letter, Paul has begun to give practical application to the gospel. Uh, And what I mean by that is that Paul has spent the first three chapters of Ephesians explaining the gospel and what God has done in Jesus Christ. Paul has explained that we are chosen by God by pure grace, that Christ has shed his blood to accomplish our forgiveness, that Christ has brought us near to God though we were far away, that we've been made alive in Christ and we're no longer dead in our sins and trespasses. He's labored to make those points for three chapters, and then, and only then, does Paul begin to give a list of commands and exhortations to the church. Now, I just wanted to point out... uh, I wanted to point that out to you at the beginning of this sermon to remind you that everything that is said this evening is based on what Jesus has done. Your obedience to this text is to flow from a heart that is reminded daily of what Jesus has done for you. Your obedience to this text comes from the fact that Christ has lived, died, and was raised for you in order to make you into a new creation. Christ died to save you from your sins and to make you new. And so now, you put off the old man and put on the new. You stop living like an unbeliever because you're not that person anymore. And you begin to, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, you begin to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, having become a recipient of grace and a child of God. Paul basically tells us in Ephesians, for the first three chapters, here is what Jesus did for you. Here is what God has done for you through his son. Here is who you are in Christ. Here is your new identity that God has graciously given you. Now, go and live consistently with that. So that's how it works. You always hear the gospel, then the exhortations and commands come. So with that in mind, right, that we are to obey in light of what Jesus has done and not with a legalistic spirit of trying to merit anything before God because we cannot, because even our best obedience is still mixed with sin, And even at the end of the day, as the Lord Jesus says, we are to consider ourselves as unprofitable servants who have merely done what we're commanded. We cannot merit anything from God through our obedience. In light of that, that we obey from gratitude. Let's look at our text. And we see that the lordship of Christ and our response to God's love for us goes right down into how we raise our kids. Let's read the text again. We're going to be reading it a lot this evening. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's start with that first word, fathers. Fathers. Now, common sense tells us that this command also applies to mothers, right? Because mothers, like fathers, have a biblical obligation to raise their children properly and not provoke them to anger. Uh, Mothers, women, read Proverbs 31, right? There's some good guidelines for how a woman ought to run her home under uh, the headship of her husband, 
Uh, but co again, common sense tells us that this command comes to mothers as well as fathers. Uh, beyond common sense, the word uh, translated here, fathers, is also used elsewhere in the book of Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 11, to designate both father and mother. Right? So this word that our translation here says fathers can mean parents in the plural. It can mean that. But when you compare it to the original word in verse 1, if you look there, Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord. If you look at that in Greek, those are actually two different words for parents in verse 1 and fathers in verse 4. So while this verse, verse 4, has application to both fathers and mothers, I think Paul intends to address fathers specifically. And that's because though both fathers and mothers raise children, fathers are the head of the house. Right? So he's addressing fathers specifically, and in doing so, he's also addressing mothers. So men, let me take a minute and talk to you. If you're a father especially, listen up. Your wife is addressed in this commandment, but only secondarily. You are the primary recipient. You are the one who is primarily responsible for how your children are raised. The buck stops with you. The burden of responsibility rests upon your shoulders. And this is what it means to be a man. To take on the responsibilities that God gives you and to execute your duties to the best of your ability so as to honor God. I think it's a good definition. I'm going to read that to you again. This is what it means to be a man. To take on the responsibilities that God gives you and to execute your duties to the best of your abilities so as to honor God. Dad, you are responsible for how your kids are raised. Now that doesn't mean that fathers have to do everything in child rearing, thank God. Right? Your, your wife is certainly there to help you in many ways and to do many, many things to raise your children. After all, if you look at verses 1 through 3 of this passage, it's children obey your parents, honor your father and your mother. Right? So mothers definitely have a huge role that they play in raising children. But it will be husbands, it will be fathers who must primarily give an account for how their children are brought up. So let me illustrate this. Dad, if Jesus Christ were to make a visit to your home and your wife answered the door, he would say, woman, I'll speak to you in a moment and we may have many things that we need to talk about, but I must first speak to your husband. This is serious stuff, fathers. It's your job to make sure your children are raised right. Let me make that clear. It's not the church's responsibility. Though the church should and will help you. It's not the responsibility of a school to raise your children. I hope you're not that foolish in 2021. It's not the elder's job. It's not Pastor Stephen and my job to raise your children, though we will give you biblical counsel to help you. It is the responsibility of the father to ensure that the children are raised biblically. So parents, especially fathers, know this. You have authority in your home. You have authority in your home, and you must use it well. You have been given authority by God over your children. Have you ever considered that? The authority that you have over your children has been given to you by God. I don't mean to offend, but moms and dads, you do not have intrinsic sovereign authority over your children. You don't. The authority you have over your kids is not intrinsic to you as a human. As Jesus told Pilate, you would have no authority at all if God didn't give it to you. 
That applies to governors as well as that applies to fathers and mothers. Rather, parents, you have a derived authority. Authority given from God. And so, you are to be a good steward of that authority and wield it in such a way that you bless your children. In other words, you don't get to raise your kids any way you choose. That's a lie from the world that you get to just choose how you're going to raise your kids. No, you don't have that kind of sovereignty. You are morally obligated to raise them how God commands. In fact, that's the reason why he gave you authority over your children. For his glory. That you might raise them to know and fear him. That you might raise them his way. That's the reason he's given you authority. But how are we supposed to raise our kids? What are we supposed to do? Well, the apostle begins by giving a negative command. He starts with a prohibition. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. More literally, do not stir up your children to anger. Don't incite them to anger. Don't be excessively harsh with them. Don't irritate them. Don't exasperate them. Now, a really helpful way of thinking about this that I came across in my studying this week is this. Do not treat your children in such a way that they become bitter in their hearts. Do not treat your children in such a way that they become bitter, angry. That's bitter towards you, bitter toward correction, bitter towards true religion, right? Just bitter. Don't do things in your home that will make them angry and bitter. In Colossians 3.21, Paul says almost the exact same thing. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Lest they become discouraged. And to paraphrase the great Baptist commentator John Gill here, don't raise your children in such a way that they become discouraged. That is, that they become disheartened and have their spirits broken through grief and trouble. That they become lazy and don't want, anything, don't want to do anything that you tell them. Don't raise them in such a way that they despair of ever having your affection. Don't raise them in such a way that they disregard your instruction and grow rebellious against you. And to help show you what the apostle means here, let me give you a list of ten ways that you can provoke your children to anger. All right, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, uh, but these are some major examples of how people cause their kids to be angry and bitter in their hearts. All right, so if you want uh, top ten for how you can be the worst parent imaginable, here we go. Right? These are the ten ways to exasperate your children. Ten ways to make your kids angry. First, have bad rules in your home. Have bad rules. And when I say that, I mean they can be arbitrary rules. Right? Simply because I said so. Right? And I'm not saying that there is not an appropriate time to use that, especially if your children are so young that they cannot reason. My 18-month-old already asks me why. I'm not reasoning with an 18-year-old because she can't, or 18, 18-year-olds can't reason that well either, right? I can't reason with an 18-month-old yet, right? But when I say arbitrary rules, I mean this, simply because I said so and there is no good reason behind the rule. It's not that the child can't understand the good reason yet, it's there is no good reason and you know there is no good reason. You're just simply using your authority because you can, you're saying no because you can. You're making up rules because you can to flex on your kids. Or the commands can be, the rules can be unclear. 
This is a way to have bad rules in your home. You're too vague with your children. Right? They don't understand what you want because you don't really know what you want them to do or not do. And you have not communicated your expectations to your children in such a way that they can understand. Instead, you just expect them to know or you expect them to figure it out. I promise you, bad, arbitrary, unclear rules will make a child bitter. Second way you can make your kids angry, be inconsistent. Be inconsistent in your character. That's one way. You act one way at church, you act another way at home. You act one way around your fellow church members and another way at home. You're two-faced. And let me say this from personal experience. Children can smell a hypocrite. And it makes them angry. It makes them angry with you, possibly angry with Christianity because you claim to be a follower of Christ and you're two-faced. Or inconsistency in discipline. You can be inconsistent in discipline. Hear me, please. Please hear me. Inconsistent in discipline. Out of convenience, you allow an act of disobedience to go unpunished one day because you just don't want to do the hard work of disciplining your child because it is hard and frustrating and annoying. Out of convenience, you allow one act of disobedience to go unpunished one day, but then you blow up about the same exact offense the next day. That makes discipline a moving target for your child. It makes rules appear and disappear at your arbitrary will. And when this happens, your children will get mixed messages, become confused, and never really understand what version of mom or dad they're getting and what version of the house that they're supposed to be living in that day, and they will become angry and bitter. Third, you want to make your kids angry? Constantly nag them and criticize your children. Or to put it this way, be all law and no grace, and you'll make them bitter. If you want to exasperate your kids, always be at their throat for the things they don't do right. Talk down to them. Belittle them for what they do wrong and the mistakes that they make. Never come alongside them to help, to help them or to give them a break. If you want to exasperate your kids, make the motto of your home, figure it out. And criticize them constantly, and I promise you'll make them bitter. A fourth way to make your children angry. Never compliment them or encourage them. So many children live with the mindset that they will never be able to please their mom and their dad. And that's often because their parents never tell them that they're proud of them when they do right. Martin Luther once said, spare the rods and spoil the child. That is true. But beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he has done well. It's good advice. Parents, do your kids know that you're pleased with them? Do they know that you delight in them? Do they know that you love them? Does that come across as strong as your criticism? Fifth way to provoke your children, overprotection, where you smother your kids in an attempt to protect them from physical or even all spiritual harm. Now listen, I'm not saying to throw them to the wolves, 
I'm not saying to neglect them and let them do whatever they please. I am not saying to openly allow wickedness to persist in your home. But being a helicopter parent is one way to ensure that they never grow up. I've watched it in my own extended family. And it's a great way to ensure that they will always feel like you don't trust them and you treat them like a baby. Your kids are going to get hurt and they're going to sin. And you can't stop them. I'm not telling you to let them run wild and not care for them. But if you're a helicopter parent, you will make them bitter and angry with you. Because you're not letting them grow up. You're not letting them learn. Sixth, you want to make your kids mad? Show favoritism. Treat one of your kids with more grace, compassion, encouragement, and love than another one. Though you'd never say it with your, with your words, show by your actions that you like to be around one child more than another. They'll figure it out. Or... Compare your children to one another. Compare them to one another. Or compare them to kids that you know. Why can't you be more like Johnny? Why can't you be more like your sister? Amber's grinning in the back. You ask them that, and you're comparing them to the other child as if that child's got everything figured out and they never disobey their parents. Why can't you be more like so-and-so? When instead, a better question is, why are you being disobedient to me right now? It's a much better question. Showing favoritism and comparing kids with each other will certainly cause bitterness and discouragement. Ask Jacob in Genesis. Seven, a failure to distinguish between childish and sinful behavior will anger your kids. Children are immature, right? Children do immature things, and they need to be instructed. That's an absolute fact. But that does not always mean that they are acting in rebellion or being disobedient to your commands. You must learn to acknowledge the difference. Spilling a cup of milk is not the same as disobeying you. Unless, of course, you told them, don't try to do that. But spilling a cup of milk is not the same thing as disobedience. Hear me on this. Having a stupid idea to do something that they think is fun, but you've never instructed them not to do, is not the same thing as willful rebellion against you as their authority. I'll give you an example. I'm stepping away from my notes here. Um, uh, Pastor Gary Chaffins told me a story once about his two-year-old daughter. Uh, or She's not two anymore. I think she's 13 now. But whenever she was two years old, she took a bottle of baby powder and covered her entire room to where it looked like a snowscape in her room. And then went and got her parents because she was so proud of the work that she had done. Because she didn't realize you're not supposed to do that. That's childish. It's not rebellion. She didn't know that she ought not do that. She had no concept of this is a huge mess that's going to be awful for my mother and father to clean up. She was being childish. She was not being sinful or rebellious. She was too. We must learn how to distinguish those things between silliness and rebellion or you will anger your children. They're children. Remember that. Eight, have an unhealthy focus on achievement rather than character and faithfulness and you'll make your children angry. This is a growing problem, especially with the increased focus of sports, on sports in our culture. I see this in some of my extended family personally where parents are trying to live out their dream through their kids. Right? We've all seen this to some degree, where you see a dad screaming at their nine-year-old son from the sidelines as if he's a professional. Or mothers pushing their daughters to become pageant queens and the head cheerleader or homecoming queen or whatever it is. 
And although most would never admit it, the focus here is normally on achievement and not on character. And real quick, there's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with putting your little girl in a pageant. I'm doing it, apparently, at some point this year, I was told. Um, <laughs> she's going to win, too, because she's good looking. But anyway, um, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm talking about focusing on their achievements and not on their character. If you do that to your children, you will be putting a mountain of unfair pressure on your kids to be what mom and dad want instead of being more concerned about cultivating godliness and instructing them to fear God. And no doubt, such parents are straining and exasperating their children. A ninth way to make your kids angry, neglect them. Neglect your children and you will make them bitter. Live on your phone and don't engage with your kids. Stay glued to your television and don't play with them. It's very easy and you will make them very angry. Make your kids feel like they are a constant interruption to you. Make your kids feel like they're a burden to your busy life by the way you treat them. Or break your promises to them. Because when the day comes to fulfill your promise, you don't feel like doing it. Like you thought you would when you told them on Tuesday you'd take them to the park on Saturday. But now the day is here and you don't feel like it. Break your promise and neglect them. Don't know them deeply. Don't talk deeply with them. Don't care about their interests. Do that and you will make them the angriest children in the world. Tenth and final for this list, it's not exhaustive, but tenth... Verbal and physical abuse. Nothing can tear a child down more than sarcasm, ridicule, harshness, name-calling, constant nagging, disrespect, public humiliation, and private humiliation. Think about it for a minute. Out of anger, it is nothing for a parent to call their kids idiots or to call them stupid, or weak, or failures. I see it in my store all the time. Parents say things like, can't you do anything right? That's verbal, that's verbal abuse. And in some ways, this can be just as painful as physical abuse that so many children have experienced. So know this, Abuse of any kind at all is wicked. It is a sin against God and it is a sin against your children and you will give an account for it and doing so will also certainly provoke your child to anger. But why don't we want to provoke our children to anger? Why not? Well, there are many reasons, but let me give you the most basic before we move on. Why, don't, why should you not provoke your children? Your children ultimately belong to God as His creations. They're yours, but more really and truly, they are his. He owns them. He created them, and you have no right to mistreat God's property. You've been given stewardship over them. More than that, your children are your littlest neighbors. Do you ever think about your kids like that? These are, just my, these are my little neighbors, and God commands you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Children are just little and young image bearers and neighbors. And therefore, you must treat them with compassion, mercy, and dignity under God. Don't provoke them to wrath. 
So that's what we're not supposed to do. But positively, Paul says we are to do some other things. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. We'll stop there. Bring them up. Literally, this means nourish. Nourish. Raise them. Develop them like a growing plant. Sounds funny, but that's actually a helpful way to look at it. Your kids are crops. Raise them up through intentional care and pains to make sure that they're raised right. Paul says raise them up. What does that imply? They won't raise themselves up, will they? You have to do it. You must bring them up. Parenting is not a sideline thing according to the word of God. We are to be very intentionally engaged in their lives. Treat them like a little sapling who needs your attention and your love and your instruction. And I can't stress this enough. In an age where everyone is so selfish and self-absorbed and vain and into themselves and their hopes and their dreams, in a culture like that, you are to set yourself aside and be actively involved in the lives of your babies. You are to raise them up. They will not raise themselves. But how do we bring them up? Paul tells us that there are two tools that we are to use. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's start with discipline. We're going to hang out here for a minute. This word can be translated training or chastening. We are to bring up our children by training them. William Hendrickson, a very, very good Bible commentator, says this. This word means training by means of rules, regulations, rewards, and whenever necessary, punishments. Training. And if you want a good picture of training, go back and look at the first five books of the Old Testament. What happens there? God lays down very clear laws. Right? When he constitutes Israel, he lays down very clear laws, and they're good laws. They're not arbitrary laws. They're written down so that they can be understood and comprehended, and they're simple. Dare I say, you can summarize them in ten lines. They're good laws. God tells his people what he expects of them in no uncertain terms. And then he lays down rewards for obedience and punishments for disobedience. Read the back end of the book of Deuteronomy and you'll see it. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And then as you read the rest of the Old Testament, you see that God always makes good on his promises. He's consistent. He always follows through. When there's obedience, there was encouragement and reward and blessing of some kind. Because God is good and God is consistent. And when there was disobedience, there were painful consequences. Because God is good and God is consistent. And he intended to teach and train the Israelites to know and fear him. That's what discipline looks like. And Christian parents are to imitate God to their children. To, in order to teach them what God is like. So that means that you and I as Christian parents must expect and demand that our children do what Paul commands of children in Ephesians 6, 1-3. Kids, listen up. You are to obey and honor and respect your parents in everything that they command you 
that is not sin. In all things lawful and biblical, children, you are to honor, obey, and respect your parents. And parents, if they do, there should be some encouragement and some reward. And if they don't, there should be consequences. That's what it looks like to train your children. You're, you're, you're training them up that they might go a certain way. That's discipline. This is training in righteousness and obedience. And part of this, now we get to the lightning round, as popular, as rather unpopular as it is in the 21st century, even among professing Christians, part of this training up is physical, corporal, bodily discipline. Let me clarify real quick. I am not talking about releasing your anger upon a child. That's not what I'm talking about. Abuse is always sin. But I am talking about a loving, controlled, physical discipline. I'm talking about spanking your kids. I'm talking about spanking your children for disobedience to understood, clear commands. Now, some people will try to say that when the Bible talks about disciplining your children, they'll say, well, any kind of negative consequence will do. I disagree. I see some of you parents going, no. <laughs> it's because you know. Right? You tried time out, and you, that doesn't work. <laughs> I think there's overwhelming biblical evidence, not just personal opinion here, but overwhelming biblical evidence that corporal punishment and spanking, right, that's what I mean by corporal punishment, spanking your children is the biblically prescribed method for parents to address disobedience in their children. Let me read you a proverb. Proverbs 23, verse 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. That one always makes me chuckle a little bit. But did you die? <laughs> right. Striking your child with a rod is the example here. What does that mean? At the minimum, that means corporal punishment. It's spanking your kid. Probably with a switch or some kind of other appropriate rod. And the fact that the proverb says, he will not die, obviously means you're not beating the child. You're not endangering their lives with this. So therefore, you need not worrying, worry about your kid dying from whatever this is that you're doing. They'll be fine. Put it this way. Put in the redneck version. Do not withhold discipline from a child. A biblical spanking never killed anyone. It's a good way of looking at it. But nevertheless, striking your child with a rod is the biblical language used here. That is corporal punishment. That is spanking your kids. Now, some parents think it's mean to spank their children. And they'll say foolish things like, I just love them too much. I just love them too much to spank them and make them cry. Well, let me show you what God says about that. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. He's diligent. It means there's consistency in the discipline. But notice something here. You may have great emotional affection for your children, and I won't deny that. But if you neglect to discipline them, you are behaving no differently from a man who hates his children. To put it in the negative, the proverb says, if you hate your kids, don't spank them. 
And know this, parents, there are a host of other Proverbs that speak of using the rod on your children when they disobey. You could read Hebrews 12 that talks about all discipline is painful, which obviously implies that there's physical discipline. It says our parents, our fathers disciplined us as they thought was good to them. And it was painful, but it was for our good. It's what Hebrews 12 says. We don't have time to look at all that this evening, but I recommend you to read Proverbs and read Hebrews 12 and see it for yourself. And a real quick aside as, as well. I'm stepping away from my notes here for a moment. Grounding your kids, timeouts, taking away tablets and things like that. I think that, that that's up to you. You have Christian liberty to do those kinds of things as supplemental forms of discipline. But the only biblically prescribed discipline is spanking. And therefore, that ought to be the first method of discipline and primary discipline method of discipline in your home, lest you claim to be wiser than God. Just throwing that out there. And remember this as well. This is really helpful. Discipline is principled. Discipline is principled. Oh, please hear me. It's not because you're ticked off at your kids. Nope. It's not because I'm going to show them who's boss. That's stupid. It's not because they're getting on your nerves and you really want some peace and quiet, so you're going to whip someone. No, rather we discipline because God commands the child to obey you in all things lawful. The child has disobeyed a clear and understood command, and God now commands you to discipline them, and you will be in sin if you do not obey God in this matter. So then you discipline because of principles given by God, and because you love God, and you want to obey Him, and because you love your child and want their best. That's why. You're training them in righteousness. As the Proverbs say, you are driving folly from them whenever you discipline them. It's not a matter of anger. Please hear me. It's not a matter of anger. You never discipline in anger. If you do that, you're sinning. That's a pretty strong thing for me to say. If you spank your kids in anger, you're sinning. Let me explain why I said that. If you spank your kids in anger, you're sinning because discipline is corrective and it is intended for the good of the child to drive foolishness out of them and to teach them obedience and righteousness. It is not intended to be a means for you to exact vengeance upon your little neighbor who has made you angry. Our disciplining our children is a principled thing done out of obedience to God and for the good of the child. It is not an emotionally driven thing. Furthermore, the reason why I'm really talking about discipline a lot is it's something that just doesn't get talked about much in Christian circles, I've noticed. So, right, again, I'm not telling you to go home and beat your children. <laughs> but know this, discipline teaches your children. It teaches that and we need to hear this. It teaches that authority is real and that there are real painful consequences for disobeying legitimate authority. You're teaching your children obedience to a higher authority, you, which ultimately teaches them to obey the Lord, your higher authority. Through discipline, they're learning to obey you, who they can see, so they can then learn to obey God, who they cannot see. And you're also teaching them by foreshadowing in a small picture. You're teaching them the awful consequences of disobedience to God. If they're believers, 
We all know that disobeying God results in discipline on us, and it's often painful, Hebrews 12. But it's corrective, and it's for our good. Second, the the disobedience of unbelief leads to an eternity of pain in hell. You're teaching your children that there are painful consequences to disobedience. You're teaching them very important things when you discipline them. Don't neglect that. So parents, let me say this, and then we'll move on. If you don't practice physical discipline when your children disobey you, you are sinning. God commands it. And for you to refuse to do so is a sin of omission. You're refusing to do what God commands. You need to remember that. But let me encourage you, it's never too late to start. Repent to God for disobeying him. And then go to your children, sit down as a family, apologize for your poor leadership, and seek their forgiveness too, because you've sinned against them in the process, and it'll be the most awkward apology you've ever given to your kids. I'm sorry I haven't been spanking you. And they'll say, why, dude? <laughs> why are you, I, this has been a great arrangement. <laughs> but you need to apologize to them after you've repented to God, and then let them know that things are changing in your house because you want to honor God. And because you want what's best for them. And then tell them what you expect. Tell them of the consequences for disobedience and put it into practice. Secondly, Paul says that we have the tool of instruction. We are to raise our children in the instruction of the Lord. The word here for instruction literally means to put into the mind with words. William Hendrickson, once again, defines this as training by means of the spoken word whether teaching, warning, or encouragement. What does this look like? This looks like sitting down with your children. And know this, both of these are indispensable. Discipline and instruction. You have to use them both. But this instruction looks like sitting down with your children and intentionally instructing them in what Scripture says. You're to teach your children the Word of God. You're to make sure that they're receiving a Christian education that they are well-versed in the faith as much as it depends upon you. Fathers especially, I want you to hear that. You teach them the faith. You do it. It's your responsibility. You are to do whatever you can to the best of your abilities to instruct your kids in the faith. You are to say along with Joshua, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is... I'm going to do whatever is within my power to promote true religion in my family. I'm going to teach my children to know, love, and serve the Lord. Fathers, you must instruct your children in the faith. Teach them. Teach them the law of God. His unbending requirements. Show them how they've broken the law and that they stand condemned before a holy God. Tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. How in grace God sent Christ into the world to save sinners by his life, death, and resurrection. Teach them that we are justified by faith alone and that we can never earn our salvation. But rather, we receive salvation through faith because it's all because of the work of Christ given to us by the grace of God. Teach them to obey the Lord in all things. Teach them obedience from gratitude, not legalism. And teach them that obedience to God is going to cost them something in a godless society. Teach them that God is to be feared and respected. Teach them of the coming judgment. Don't shy away from the hard things. Teach them of the horrors of hell. Teach them of the glories of eternal life with God. Teach them that the law of God is good and it's good for us. Teach them what God is like. 
his character, and his great love for his people. Fathers, teach them. Teach them. If you don't teach them, who's going to? Teach them. But how do you teach them? I know not all of you are preachers, brothers. Right, James says that's a pretty good idea. Not all of you are, are teachers. But there are ways you can teach them, and I can think of three biblical ways to teach your children the faith. First, take them to church. Take your kids to church. Please, parents, make being in the assembly of the saints, what we're doing right now, make this known in your family as the most important thing that you do week to week. Teach your children that this gathering is the most important thing. And as your children get older, a quick aside here, as your children get older and you're tempted to enroll them in some league or club that meets on the Lord's Day, do not fall into the deception of the devil. Don't allow your children to be part of something that is going to detract from the meeting and worship of the people of God. Do not permit it in your home. Don't let them be part of something that will so clutter the day that only an hour or two is given to the Lord. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. And you're sinning against your children and against the Lord by keeping them away from His word and His worship. And quickly, make it weird for your kids to miss church. Make it weird that if by some awful hard providence of God you can't be in church on the Lord's day, make it very weird for your kids that they don't know what they're supposed to do with the day because they're not at church. Make it weird. Be a good parent. But take them to church because it's here that we sit under the ordinary means of grace. It's in the worship service that your children will hear and be influenced by the reading of the word, the preaching of the word, the singing of the word. They will be influenced by the prayers offered to God. They'll be influenced by the gospel that's preached. They'll be influenced by seeing the gospel in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. They'll be influenced by hearing God's law, hearing prayers of confession, hearing the faith recited, hearing the absolution given, and hearing the benediction and blessings of God over his people. They'll be influenced here. More so than anywhere else. They'll be influenced here. Bring them here so they can sit under the ordinary instruments by which God is most often pleased to convert sinners and, and, and sanctify saints. This is one of the ways you teach them. Bring them here. And let them see you worship the Lord. Let them see that you believe it. Let them see that you are a serious Christian. And let them be molded by the truth. Second, Practice family worship in your home. Practice family worship. This is bringing many of those means of grace to bear throughout the week in your own home. Dad, please hear me. Sit down together as a family multiple times a week and open the Bible. Open the Bible. Read the Word. Offer up a prayer for your children. Briefly discuss the truth that you've read and point your kids to Jesus. And listen, I know that this is going to look different for each family, depending on schedules and ages of children and even the abilities of the parents. But listen, let me encourage you. You can read the Bible, right? And if you can't, I'll help you out. You can read the Bible. You can use a good resource to help maybe guide a brief discussion. The Family Worship Bible Guide, we give those out like they're free here. They're free to you. Get one if you don't have one. And you can pray. 
You can pray. You can take 10 to 15 minutes per day and worship with your family. You can do this. Figure out what's, what works best with your kids as far as passage, passage length and genre of scripture and all that. And do it. You can do this. The Lord will help you. And a quick word here, your kids aren't going to want to do it sometimes. Dare I say it? Most of the time at first. You make them. It's not an option. God says you are to instruct your children, and therefore they must sit down and be instructed. You make them or you're sinning. Third, take your opportunities. I put it this way, take your shots. Each day with your kids, take your shots. When you see an opportunity to speak even a sentence about biblical truth, take it. This is Deuteronomy 6, by the way. Talk about the law of God while you're on your way, on your way home, sitting down, working, whatever you're doing, you teach them. Your kid says, Dad, that sunset is glorious. And you say, yes, it is, son. And that beauty reminds us that God created the world and we are not here by accident. Your son says, Dad, I feel bad for what I did. And you say, yeah, you should. And that's because God has written his law on all of our hearts so that we know he exists and we know that we've sinned. Now you need to repent to God and look to Christ in faith. Those are just two examples, but you see what I'm getting at. There are opportunities every day for you to instruct your children in the things of God, and you need to take them. But parents, this is your calling. This is the most important thing that you will ever do in your life as a Christian. To teach your children the faith. To pass it on to them in hopes that God sets it through to their heart. To discipline them and instruct them in the obedience of the Lord. This is the most important thing. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your bank account. It's more important that you, than you have money to send them to college. It's more important than their secular education. That you raise them properly is the most important thing you will ever do. So for application, then, let me address quickly multiple groups of people in this room. I know I've been up here for a while, but more than half of y'all have seen Braveheart, and you're going to be all right. right? That's a long film. You're all right. First, or if you don't like Scotland, you've seen The Patriot, whatever. First, parents with children in the home. I'm talking to you. I want you to look at this text and see what your duties are as parents, especially dads. And if you've been lazy or negligent with these duties, you must repent. You must repent. Be diligent to execute your responsibilities with all faithfulness in the fear of God. And please hear me on this. Be diligent. Dial in with me here, folks. It will be really easy for you to nod your head in agreement all throughout this sermon, but then go home and resume the exact same patterns that you've been living in with regard to raising your children. That will be the easiest thing in the world. But know this, parents, you will, give an account to whether, you will give an account to God for whether or not you attempted to please Him in your parenting. Don't provoke your children. Raise them up, discipline them, instruct them, and repent when you fail because you will fail many times. And remember the glorious gospel that the Lord Jesus has saved you from your sins. Second, older parents. Older parents. Your children have left the home. The time for bringing them up is over. If you see that you did not raise your children the way Christ commands, then you need to repent. Even for the old sins. There is mercy for you. You have regrets, no doubt, 
But God has grace for bad parents. You can't do anything to fix it, but you can repent in your heart. Older parents, if you have children who are Christians, you now see what they should be doing as they raise their kids. Come alongside them and help them. Respect that you are not the parent of your grandchildren, but encourage and be a help to your children as they seek to raise their kids in accord with the word of God. And listen, older parents, if your children are not Christians, know that you can still instruct them in the ways of the Lord. You can call them to repent and believe upon Christ. You can still do that. You must still do that. Though the time to bring them up has come and gone, you can still point them to Christ and call them, instruct them to believe upon him. And listen, if your unbelieving children have their own children, then you can still take opportunities with your grandchildren to instruct them about Christ as you're able. Take the opportunity. Just because your kids are grown and out of your home doesn't mean that this text still does not have application for you. You can help your children to do this. Third, to those who do not currently have any children, keep these things in mind for when you do have your own kids. Right? Should God bless you with them, the Lord's preparing you today for the responsibilities he may lay upon you tomorrow. And in the meantime, those of you who are, who are currently childless, you can come alongside your fellow church members and help them to fulfill their calling as parents. In fact, all of us can do this and all of us should do this. Encourage parents to obey this text and offer gentle reproofs when you see your fellow members neglecting Christ's word here. Seek to be a help for those who are raising their children and pray for them. We need it. Pray for them. And lastly, everyone needs to remember this. This passage lays a monumental burden and responsibility on our shoulders. And we're going to fail and we're going to sin. And so we need to remember that God is gracious to us in Christ. If you don't remember that, you will be crushed under the law of parenting. We need to remember that God is gracious to us in Christ and that God promises to help us so that we can help or we can honor and obey him. So repent often and look to Christ always. Cry out to God every day in prayer. Ask for help. Look to his word for wisdom to guide you and lead you and submit to the working of the spirit through the word. God promises to help us and he will. Trust him and be faithful. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we thank you for this word to us that challenges us in many ways. Maybe some here are offended at some of the things that your word says this evening. God, I pray that you would break their hearts and soften them and help them to see that your word is good and it's true. But God, I would imagine many of us, after hearing a sermon like that, we just see all the ways that we have failed and are failing and all the pitfalls that we need to avoid. So God, I pray that you would set deep into our hearts that Jesus Christ is our righteousness. And that by your grace, we are not judged for salvation on how good of a parent we've been, but rather we are judged by the perfect righteousness of Christ given to us by faith. Set that into our hearts, God. And then from gratitude overflowing for what you've done for us, God, help us to raise our kids the way we should. Have mercy on us and help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.